Hello and welcome to the Ascend Canada podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Anish Patel, and I have the amazing opportunity to speak to a leader who saw a need and took action. Varun Chandak is the founder of Access to Success, a not-for-profit that empowers students with disabilities to become successful leaders through allyship, networking, and other opportunities. He's speaking at various events, conferences, and recruitment events for persons with disabilities. Varun, thanks for joining us today. Anish, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, before we start, I also want to thank you for hosting this conversation on Microsoft Teams. Uh, as you know, I have a hearing impairment and I rely on lip reading or captions. So since Microsoft Teams has the captions, I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for that. Of course. Varun, to kick us off, um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what Access to Success is and what motivated you to start this initiative? Absolutely. So Access to Success actually started off as a student club when I was an MBA student at the Rutman School of Management at University of Toronto. Um, I remember every business school has an orientation day and at my orientation day, there was an entire day dedicated to diversity and inclusion. I found it interesting that disability did not even get mentioned once during that orientation. Um, and I thought there was something off about that. So I did some research and it turned out that none of the top business schools in the world, at least at the time, had any student-run initiatives specifically for students with disabilities, even though there were initiatives for gender equality, for LGBTQ, for race. Disability was getting ignored. So I talked to the administration and they encouraged me to take action on that. So that's how Access to Success initially started as a student club. I recruited the founding team, which still works with me today. Um, a year later, from the encouragement that we received, a lot of people telling us that we are limiting ourselves by just staying to Rockman, we took heed to those words and expanded and incorporated into a not-for-profit organization. So as of today, we support MBA students at the University of Toronto, at Queen's University, and Western University through the Access to Success Fellowship, which provides annual scholarships of $75,000 to MBA students who have a disability. Along the way, we also expanded into the innovation sector, but I'll talk about that some other time. Wow, that's awesome to hear the progress you guys have had in such a short period of time. It's interesting. So you noticed that at the university, there was visibility and awareness brought into visible minority groups, but there was a gap. Um, you know, when you think about that gap, what does it take for an organization to be more inclusive of people with disabilities, whether it be schools, uh, companies? What are your thoughts around what it takes to really push the inclusive agenda? Let's talk about it from the perspective of companies. Um, for a company, I would say that the initiative needs to come from the top. There can always be grassroots movement that's always encouraged, but unless there is a support right from the top, it's not going to end up as well as it would otherwise. So if there is any leaders listening, I would highly encourage them to look into the world of disability inclusion and encourage the corporate leadership to support disability inclusion in a meaningful way. The second aspect is that 
the commitment to disability inclusion needs to be true to the word and not a marketing ploy. The disability community has seen this for a very long period of time. Fortunately, there have been pockets of true inclusion. Unfortunately, there has also been uh, plenty of not so true inclusion and the community understands which is which. So I would encourage the people who are interested in taking concrete steps to do it for the right reasons, not for charity, not for branding or marketing, but for true inclusion and the benefits that come with it. The third thing is that it's okay if people don't have all the answers. If you want to start off by doing something for disability inclusion, you may not have all the answers for all of the disabilities in the world, and that's okay. Fortunately, there are people out there who do know what they're doing, so I encourage them to find those people and learn from them. That's what we did. That's exactly what we did. I personally had no background in disability advocacy when we first started Access to Success, but we were fortunate that we met a lot of people who had been doing this for a lot of years, and they taught us everything there is to know, or a lot of what there is to know. So you learn from them, and hopefully you improve along the way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. When you think about managing effective change, you do need buy-in from folks that have what we'll call power. I, I like what you mentioned where you don't have to be the expert. There are enough folks out there that you can uh, lean on to help bridge your understanding and upskill your education. Um, and then make it purposeful. Don't make it you know, a marketing ploy. Make it meaningful and, and make it impactful. Now, to help bring this whole thing full circle, when you were looking at joining a company after finishing your MBA, did you face challenges along the way? Were there um, instances or, or hesitation around companies when you disclosed the partial hearing impairment? Absolutely, yes. Uh, there was one very unfortunate incident. Um, there was a rule that I came across which I thought I would be perfect for. The job description looked like it was written for me. I had everything that they asked for and then some. Um, at least that's what I thought. Uh, I applied and I was lucky to actually get an interview. Um, so they asked for a phone call. So I emailed them back and said that, look, I have a hearing impairment and I'll rely on lip reading. Would it be possible to do it either over a video or in person? And this is a very, very, very large company. Um, and they say that, look, as a matter of policy, we don't usually do video calls or in-person meetings for the first screening phone call. Um, but let me see what I can do. Let me talk to my boss and I'll come back to you. I said, okay. Uh, week goes by, I don't hear back from that person. So I email back to follow up. And they say, oh, yes, I checked with my boss. We're still looking into it. Uh, and the boss is copied in that. Okay. Another week goes by, I follow up yet again. Uh, this time the boss uh, responds and says, yes, we're trying to sort it out. I'm really sorry. I, um, we'll see what we can do. I don't follow up again, and two weeks later, I receive a rejection email without any interview. That's awful. Appreciate you sharing. People tend to tiptoe around disability, and sometimes those initial conversations are tricky. For example, can I use that word? Uh, what if? What are some of the common misconceptions 
and the do's and the don'ts uh, that we should be aware of? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, the first thing is ask. Not Don't ask that, hey, I think you have a disability. Do you have this disability? What I mean by that is if somebody discloses to you that they have a disability, when appropriate, ask what can you do to support the person, whether it's in the course of the professional life or if it's a friend, ask, tell me this, is there something that I should be doing better? If you're coming from the right place, the person will tell you if there's anything they need to do, if anything the other person needs to do. The second thing is just read up on the common do's and don'ts, the common courtesy aspects of it. Um, just educate yourselves. And that's the same thing for any aspect of being inclusive, of, of being an effective ally. So one thing I want to add is mistakes happen. So if you if somebody doesn't have a disability, makes a mistake, like I said, these conversations are tricky. If you make a mistake, apologize and learn from it. Try not to do it again. And it's okay, as long as you learn from that mistake. Um, and the final and maybe the most important thing, which I should have said the first time, is include people with disabilities in the conversation. Uh, if you want to do something that you feel is inclusive, it sounds obvious, but don't do it by excluding the person you're trying to be inclusive of. Thank you for that. I know uh, self-education in many aspects is so empowering to, to folks in terms of just shedding light on concepts that may be somewhat foreign and helps bring empathy. Now, I've read about inclusive design, some of the pieces you've put out, but uh, for the listeners we have today, can you tell us a bit more about uh, what inclusive design is and uh, why it's important? Of course. Inclusive design is a design methodology which takes into account the varied spectrum of human abilities. In simple terms, it designs in a flexibility that makes it possible for extreme users to use the product. To give you a very simple example, I have a partial paralysis in my left hand, which makes it very weak. Now, if somebody was to design a jar for which it was easy for me to open the jar, open the lid of the jar using just my left hand, that would be inclusive design. And how it expands is not only can I use it, a little child would also be able to open the jar. Somebody with, say, arthritis would also be able to open the jar more completely. So inclusive design doesn't necessarily design for everyone in the world, but it builds in enough flexibility such that the extreme users can use the product. And if an extreme user can use the product, then the vast majority, the 80-20, the 80% can also use the product in most cases. Um, inclusive design is, again, not a charity thing. There is a huge commercial component and commercial reasoning behind this. For example, um, screen readability. Yeah, how a few years ago, there was this huge um, component in mobile phone reviews where they would talk about how readable the screen is in direct sunlight. That came from an accessibility feature. For true accessibility, there needs to be sufficient contrast on your screen. If you have sufficient contrast on your screen, inevitably, inevitably the readability 
is much better when direct sunlight. So now that's a very common thing. There are hundreds of examples like that. There is a series of kitchen tools called OXO Groups. It's one of the most common and most popular examples of inclusive design. That series of tools, like a can opener, was initially designed for people with virus. And now they're very, very popular simply because they're just so much more comfortable. That's inclusive design. So a good segue here is it's hard enough or it can be challenging when we're not in a pandemic. But given we're in a pandemic, there's working from home, there's social isolation. How has the um, how has this pandemic played a role in either furthering or um, actually taking steps back in that journey? For me, the pandemic, the biggest change has been face masks. Um, as I said early on in our conversation, I very heavily rely on lip reading. So now when I go out and I want to talk to someone, it's very, very, very difficult for me. Um, and I'm, in fact, in a weird way, sort of grateful that this is happening now and not five years ago, because now the technology exists for me to be able to use apps for voice-to-text translation. That didn't exist five years ago, not automatically. So. It's been difficult despite the existence of that technology, especially in-person conversations have been very painful, um, but you do what you can. Sometimes if you're lucky, the other person will be wearing a transparent face shield, which makes it easy for me to lip read. Uh, there has been a small movement to encourage people to use transparent face masks, um, but they are obviously very niche and only exist in very small pockets. So, so far, I don't have an answer except to continue relying on the app. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Professionally now, thankfully, all the conference calls, all of the meetings take place on Microsoft Teams, uh, which has the live captions feature. So it's actually made my life easier because I don't have to deal with phone calls anymore. So you get some, you lose some. Yeah, I can imagine. Ascend has a pretty big student chapter across Canada. Um, and, you know, having been a student at Rotman yourself, would there be advice that existing students could take that you'd be able to provide to help them build a more inclusive academic culture? I would say the same thing that sort of catapulted me into my role at Access to Success. Somebody I, I once heard somebody say in the early days at Rockman, of my days at Rockman, if you see the need for a change around here, act on it. This is the time when you're a student, the resources that you have, the environment you're in, you will never have a better time than that to make a change. So I would highly encourage students who see that need for a change around them to not think it's not their job. It's the accessibility services office that should take care of it, the program services office that should take care of it. If you see the gap, that gap still exists, I would encourage you to think what can you do to fill that gap. When I started in this space, I had no background whatsoever in disability advocacy. I had not even any exposure beyond my own lived experiences with disability. Um, I learned along the way, I received a lot of support, I met, met a lot of people who taught me what I know now. 
but it all happened because I decided to sort of take that jump. I would encourage students to take that jump. It's great advice. Looking back, uh, what are you most proud of? <laughs> I think the, what I'm the most proud of is making a conversation about disability exciting in some instances. Um, I have been fortunate to come across various examples of students who got exposed to disability inclusion, to the world of inclusive design through the work of Access to Success. And those students later told me they had no idea this world of innovation was out there, this world of inclusion was out there, and how now they've learned so much about it, and now they're interested in it, and they make an effort to keep learning more about it beyond what we at Access to Success did. I think that's what I'm most excited about, to have made that conversation worthwhile and to have made that conversation happen. Uh, so, Varun, this brings us to the end of our time together. Uh, but before we sign off, are there closing remarks that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, thank you. Uh, there are a couple of things I wanted to share. So, two of our ongoing initiatives may be of interest to your listeners. One, we recently launched the world's first survey on disability inclusion in MBA programs. That survey is still live. So if any of the listeners, if you are a current, former, or prospective MBA student and you identify as having a disability, I would highly encourage you to visit our website, accesstosuccess.ca, and participate in this survey. Uh, there is a compensation of $25 CAD available for the first 400 respondents. The other thing I wanted to share, which I've been hinting at uh, throughout this conversation, is our work in the innovation space. Last year in October, we organized what was Canada's first boot camp for accessibility startups with an inaugural cohort of 10 companies. That boot camp turned out to be really successful, and we are now working to launch a full-fledged accelerator exclusively for accessibility startups. We are on the way to launching this, but like everything else we have done so far, we can do this on our own. So if this is something that you would like to get involved in, whether you represent a company or just yourself, please reach out to us. If you would like to volunteer for us in any capacity, we can always use more help. So I would highly encourage the listeners to please reach out. That's awesome. I um, echo the call to action um, to have folks participate in that survey. If you complete an MBA or attending your MBA, and the innovation bootcamp seems uh, pretty exciting. Seems like a great opportunity to really um, leave a mark. Thank you. No, of course, Varun. Um, with that, I do want to thank you again for taking um, you know, the time to have this conversation with us. Appreciate all the hard work and the progress you've had with Access to Success and um, for championing the great work that you're doing. Listeners, this is your host signing off. Thank you for tuning in. Stay well and uh, stay safe.